Across the decades, Billy Graham has preached the gospel of Jesus to more people in person, live, than anyone in church history since the gospel was birthed in the time of Jesus. He has preached in person, they say, to over 210 million people in 185 countries. Some of the largest crowds that ever attended Billy Graham in person, one of them was right here in 1957 in Madison Square Garden. For 16 weeks, listen to this, in our city right here, in Madison Square Garden for 16 weeks, literally 2.3 million people walked through the doors of Madison Square Garden. 2.3 million people in 16 weeks. London, over a number of weeks, saw over 2 million. Glasgow, Scotland, 2.6 million. Seoul, Korea, um, began to see 3.2 million people in a number of weeks. But the very first time that Billy Graham began to preach in a tent was in Los Angeles, California in 1949. In eight weeks in 1949, there would be over a quarter of a million, 350,000 people, but it was a very important crusade, not because it was his first, because something happened there. Billy Graham's famous line every time he preached was this, the Bible says. That was his famous line. The crisis happened right at the beginning of the Los Angeles crusade. Billy had a crisis of faith just a few days into the crusade in regards to the Bible. He was questioning whether the Bible was the inspired word of God. Think about that. He is preaching in a tent and has a crisis of faith whether what he was preaching was the inspired word of God. He was questioning it. That, that famous line, the Bible says, is now in the balance. And right there in 1949, in, in, in 1949 in Los Angeles, he really began to come to a crossroads. I was reading his biography, Just As I Am, and he said this. He said, if I could not trust the Bible, I could not go on. And in fact, he said this in his journal. It was not too late to become a dairy farmer. That's what Billy, that's what Billy Graham said. And he wrote, as I walked to the San Bernardino Mountains in the middle of the night, I fell to my knees, and he said, and I opened up my Bible, and I laid it there on the cold, wet ground. And I said, oh God, there are many things I don't understand in this book, and there are many problems I don't have the solution for. And he said, when I began to declare my, my, my heart and just become honest with God, he said, the Holy Spirit freed me right in those mountains. And these, this is what he prayed. These are his words. He said, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I will believe this is your inspired words. That day, that night, God filled the greatest evangelist with, those, with that word that would ring across the world to over 210 million people. The Bible says, because of that night of wrestling. In fact, if you look at any pictures of that Los Angeles crusade, Billy Graham had put up behind him 25 feet, wa 20 feet wide, 20 feet high, a picture of the Bible opened up right behind him that he wanted the Bible behind him as he would preach as the centerpiece for the next 58 years that it would always be that the Bible says. Listen carefully. When you say the Bible says, you are saying God says. Let's be very clear about this. When you say the Bible says, you're saying this is what God says. See, the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is God speaking to humanity, speaking to all of us that's here. But let me just dig a little bit deeper. But just as important, the word of God, get this, is the heart of God. The word of God is the heart of God. Why do you say that, Pastor Tim? Here it comes. Because the Bible contains the words of God, words reveal the heart of the person that is speaking. Listen to Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, what does it say? The mouth speaks. Listen, because words come from the heart, God's word 
is God's heart. It's how he feels, his opinion, his heart on everything. So every time you hear, every time you read this book, you are hearing the heart of God. Now, folks, this is so important as we hear his heart through the word of God today. Today in America, we are witnessing one of the most amazing outpourings of the Holy Spirit across college campuses in our country. This is a solemn moment that God is going right to the, right to the heart of intellectual superiority and dismantling it with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We heard on Tuesday night from, from one of the professors of preaching at Baylor University that he came, Dr. Gregory came on Tuesday night, he said on Monday night before he left, 2,000 students were in the common area crying out for revival in Waco, Texas. Texas A&M is seeing, he said, 4,000 students gathered together in that campus that has 60,000 students, and there's an outpouring in Texas A&M. Samford University in, in Birmingham, Lee College, Cedarville University, and now they said Belmont is experiencing a groundswell happening there, and it all started with Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky on February 8th. Thousands of college students thought or really 20 college students thought they were coming to a little Bible study and little did they know that they would never leave that Bible study because God was about to pour out his Holy Spirit that would begin to spread like fire. But let me give you just for a moment a powerful testimony that many of you don't know that we've just began to let folks begin in on the secret. Before even the Asbury revival, Times Square Church, somebody that was in leadership at some of the Ivy League schools were feeling the same thing, that God was doing a groundswell. And here is what's so exciting, that our worldwide prayer meeting um, has been invited to do their prayer meeting in April on the campus of Yale University. So we are, we are going, and, and now this, this is for you. So that TSC prayer meeting is going to be on Yale campus April 19th. So we are going to invite you. Not, we, we don't need you to come and look and come and bring your phones. We need you to come and pray. So we are going to ask you to get ready to put that. So take, put that back up on the screen for a second, please, because I want you to get your phones out. Take a picture of that, and I need you to get ready to go, we are putting that in our calendar that we are all gonna join at Yale University um, with Pastor Carter as he leads this prayer meeting. We want you to mark your calendars because we're gonna fill that place with prayer warriors. But here's also the good news that we've been permit given permission. The other universities, the other places that are very interested in, and once again, we got permission to say this, that are now talking to us that want a prayer meeting at it is both Harvard and Columbia are asking for prayer meetings to come there. Who knows what God is about to do on our campuses? Who knows what God is getting ready to pour out and do by his Holy Spirit? Now, I want you to listen carefully because I feel strongly about this. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me about this very strongly. And folks, I, I'm, when it comes to standing on these scriptures, I'm not, I'm not interested in holding anything back. I, I'm at the point that I just don't care anymore. So let me just, so post it. You can do whatever you want. You can put bad comments. I don't care. So let me just say this, because something else is happening around the country that is not on the college campuses, but it is just as much God. And don't just let me finish my thoughts for a second. There's something else happening, but it's not on the campuses, but it's in the pulpits of America. And let me just tell you this. God is exposing any preacher that will not hold to what the scripture says. I want you to listen to me. God is, and, and listen, I am gonna, listen, I want, you to, I want you to get this. God is exposing, he is exposing any preaching or preacher that will not hold, and I'm gonna tell you why. What, if you are preaching anything outside of this Bible, listen, as the revival is sweeping across next-gen and college campuses, 
God is beginning through social media to also expose false doctrine coming from any pulpit. Pastors, I want you to listen to me. Because even as pastors in the southeast are now muddying the scriptures in regards to sexual identity and sexuality, and it's even happening in New York City churches that waters are being muddied on these areas, taking clear passages and words like, these are clobber scriptures that we're clobbering the, the body of Christ. I want you to understand, you can't muddy what God has made clear in the word of God. When you do, you corrupt the scriptures. I'm not interested in what a pastor says. I'm interested in what God says through the scriptures. So let me be clear. The Bible is not a newspaper that changes based on current events. So when you pick up your newspaper every day and you read it, the words have changed. Not in this book. This book doesn't change at all. This book is the word of God. And when you see it in the morning, the words are still the same as it was the week before. This is God's eternal word. Psalm 119 says it like this, God, what you say goes, God, and stays as permanent as the heavens. Your truth never goes out of fashion. It is up to date as the earth when the sun comes up. Your word and truth are dependable as ever. And then in verse 160, your words will add up to the sum total of truth. That's God's word. Folks, from this pulpit around, God is looking for those that would hold to these scriptures. Pastor Carter, our general overseer, reminded me of Malachi's prophecy. When people return to God, the Bible says, then you shall return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him. Now, don't miss this verse. Look at those phrases. When there's a return, there also comes discern discernment takes place. Look at those two words. When people return, he puts a discernment. And I'm telling you, as students return back to, the, to, back to Jesus, they will also discern where there is food. God will expose false doctrine as fast as revival services begin to raise up on campuses. I'm telling you, watch for it. Watch as you begin to hear of a campus. Watch out because God will not allow those new converts and that new touch of God to be filled with wrong food. One pastor, listen, I'm saying it because he went public. One pastor down in the southeast went viral, was telling his church, we need to grow cannabis on our church property to teach the community how to farm and how to make an income using a pulpit. Now, some of you are going like, I can't believe you're saying. Listen, if you want to go public, we'll go public because we believe this word is it. This word is what we're holding on to. Folks, I, at this point, we need, we need backbone in the pulpits again. We need people that would hold to this word again. What's going on? He is a liberal, listen, I want to read the words of a liberal theologian from times past. This is what Kierkegaard said. He said, the Bible is very easy to under, understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand it, we are obliged to act accordingly. So we pretend, we don't, we pretend this is not clear. Can I be very clear? It is clear. We are taking the next 26 weeks, if you don't know, and if you're visiting with us, if you're wondering why I'm yelling. Our series is called The Bible Says. It's a biblical worldview from A to Z. It's a series to equip Christians to speak and to stand in these days. Last week, we started with A, the atonement. Today, we go with B, the Bible. 
Here is my long title from Hebrews chapter four. Remember those words in Hebrews chapter four that we read when it says those words in Hebrews four, that the word of God is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword? So here's what I wanna tell you today. Here's my message. If it's living, active, and sharp, then don't make it dead, dull, and blunt. If it's active, living, and sharp, then don't make it dead, dull, and blunt. This is the word of God. I want to do what Jude did in the second to the last book, right before Revelation. Jude says he was going to write on one thing until something captured his attention like it did for me. In Jude chapter 1, Jude writes, Dear friends, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share or a common salvation. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. You see the shift. I was writing about the salvation we share, but I urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people for certain individuals whose condemnation was written long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immoral. Folks, this is it. This is what's happening. For a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and God and Lord. Jude was saying, I was about to write to you about salvation we share. But based on what I'm seeing and the alarms that I'm hearing that are going off in the body of Christ, he said, I changed my mind. I made a U-turn and now I'm writing about contending for the faith. He said about contending for it. Why? Because people and ideas, he says these words, have secretly slipped in among you. They've secretly slipped in. Folks, that's what we're faced with today. That's why we're going to hold up what this Bible says. I'll get to that in a second. That Greek phrase, slip in, I had to put it all on the screen for you. So you're not going to be able to write it down. So just get your phones out. This is what, it's interesting. It means this. It means to slip into water without making a ripple to slip through a side door into an event when everyone is using the front door, you come in the side door, slipped in. And finally, it's what a devious lawyer does in a court of law when he slips a phrase for the jury to hear. And all of a sudden, the judge steps up and says, that's inadmissible, that you're not supposed to say it. Strike this from the record, but it's already in the jury's mind. This is, that's, this is what it means. It's, it's, it's slipping into water without a ripple. No, that, that by the time it's gone public, by the time the doctrine has gone public, it's already in the water. It's already through the side door. The words have already been preached, said, and even put on social media. And that's what's happening, not only in the early church, but it's what we're dealing with today. That's why our series is The Bible Says, because this is what we always have to remember. The Bible is God's voice in print. The Bible is God's voice in print. What is happening today, the writer of Psalms calls broken down hedges. He says, a wall has come down. He said, when the hedge is broken, then all who pass by can steal the fruit of the harvest. Let, okay, let me say that again. When the hedge is broken or the hedge is down, then anybody can walk in and steal the fruit of what God is doing on these campuses. Listen to Psalm 80, verse 12. He says, why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? He says, when the walls are broken down, it opens it up for any influence to come. See, I believe more than ever that the word of God is the hedge of protection to protect the harvest. I believe more than ever, this book has to be preached because it is the hedge of protection. God is not going to allow pulpits to lose the fruit of this revival with next-gen students by beginning to turn and to, and as he said, slip in certain words and doctrines. The hedge is being destroyed, I believe today, not by those on the outside, but it's those on the inside. It's those on the inside of the wall that are taking hammers and slamming down the word of God. They say you can see the Great Wall of China from space. 
They say that as, as, if, if, as, a, as, a, as a vehicle begins, a space vehicle begins to orbit, they said that they can see that incredible wonder of the world, the Great Wall of China, 1,500 miles long, heights 15 to 30 feet high, built over 2,500 years ago. And this is what they said. They said three times it was breached by its enemies, not because the wall was incapable, it's because they bribed the gatekeepers. Let me say that again. Because the wall was strong enough that the only way the enemy could get in is if you bribe the gatekeepers, which means that the, the Chinese government invested a great deal of money and manpower to protect the nations by means of a high wall, but they didn't invest in the moral character of the gatekeepers and guards who would be easily bribed. And God help us, starting with this pulpit, if we're being bribed with money, notoriety, likes on social media, and sales of books, God help us, God help me, God keep my heart right. That if I water down anything because I want more likes, I want more sales, I want more people to see. Folks, let me just tell you, I've got to answer to God when I preach from this pulpit. I've got to answer to God. Let me just be very clear with you. This is so important because there is a famine of the word of God today. Listen to what the prophet Amos says in 8.11. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, but not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of God, but they won't find it. It's so It's so. Uh, um, sobering to know churches are rising up everywhere. But just because it rises up doesn't mean that the word is being preached. Folks, let me just say this. Amos goes on to say this. He says in 523, with the famine of the word, he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. What he was saying was, you're watching songs increase, but the word decrease. Do you understand that you have to realize we have churches that can sing, but don't know this. They understand the songs on a screen, but when it comes to the word, folks, there is not, when, when, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, let's be clear, he never sang to him one song. He didn't look at Satan and say, let me sing to you something. He went right back to the sword that is living, active, and powerful, and says, it is written, it is written, it is is written. This is the power that helps us to stand in these last days. We are making wordless pulpits with stirring songs. Help us, God. It's interesting to me that God gave the same name to the Bible as he did to Jesus. Okay, keep that. Just look at that because you need to ponder that. God gave the same name to the Bible as he did to Jesus. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Because you have to understand, they are not identical, but they are inseparable. Listen to Revelation 19. He, Jesus, is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called, what? And his name is called the Word of God. That God, listen, that means losing the word is losing Christ. In the, let me be clear. This doesn't, I, I love listening to all this. This doesn't lift up, this doesn't bring Christ. It's the word of God that does it. Not because it's me. It's because God established that the word and Jesus have to go together. Folks, I, listen. I'm not an angry, I'm not angry with anybody, okay? Some of you are looking at me and, and, and I'm, I'm not angry. This, this is a passion of my soul because what God, what God is doing, what God is doing around the country is, is to see a harvest with broken walls, to see a harvest with a broken hedge, we have got to raise that hedge up. We've got to bring it. Our hedge is gone in the church. 
And we have to rebuild those four sides of the hedge that protects. See, a hedge is a protective wall against the enemies. That's what it is. The hedge is a protective wall. It's the word of God is our hedge. And the four sides of a strong defense is what we need. We need to rebuild that hedge in the church again. And so this is why this is so important to me. Now, I want to stop here because I'm so appreciative of all that they do, from the sound to the technology. They're, they're stuck on one slide. You have to thank you because I need you to see this. I need you to see. Go back on those slides to our hedge is gone in the church and we must rebuild the four sides. A hedge, here it comes, is a protective wall against the enemies. It's a protective wall against the enemies. I, and the reason why I'm doing this, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I have to let you see what we're doing here. The word of God is our hedge. It's the four sides of a strong defense, okay? It's the four sides that we've got to build. And I want to give to you these four sides and speak to them in these next few moments. Here it is. The four sides of this strong defense is this, that the Bible is inerrant, that the Bible is infallible, the Bible is indestructible, and the Bible is indisputable. Let me give you the four sides that have to be raised up again, and I want to dive into all these. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is infallible. The Bible is indestructible, and the Bible is indisputable. Preachers are making, as I said, the living, active, sharp word of God del, dead, dull, and blunt. And we need to build and sharpen those swords. There's this little, this is, this, is, and this is a challenge to everybody that preaches the word. If you're watching, if you're here today as a pastor, or if you're watching around the country, listen to me, and around the world. There's this little phrase in Psalm 78, 9. It says, the sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, but they turned back in the day of battle. You had what you needed for the fight, but you turned back when the fight was on. Folks, we're in a fight today. We're in a battle today. And God is asking for the pulpits to build back up the walls, to put back up the hedge. Folks, I, I, I just have to tell you, this, and I'm not grandstanding here, I'm not looking for your applause, I'm just telling you, if, if, if you're looking for a place to land that's just going to make you, that's just going to tell you what you want to hear, this is not your church. Go, go somewhere else. Listen, I, I, so, so if you're going to walk out, just walk, find another place. But if you want, but, but listen, I, I, I just, because I want to tell you the truth of what the Bible says. I want to tell you what's happening today. I don't want to let live what's out there and no one even address it. Everyone just let it go. But we assume that you can't touch those things when a pastor says this and a preacher says this. Folks, somebody has to say something. So that's why we have to understand that, number one, the Bible is inerrant. There are people that will deny, despise, dissect, dismiss, and distort, and even disregard this word. But if we're believers, we have to defend the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. And use all scripture, say all scripture, all. is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. <laughs> it corrects us when we're, we, 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 we're afraid to be corrected in the church. Every series has to tell you how great you are. Folks, let me just tell you, I'm not great. I need grace. I'm not interested in someone. I, if, it's, it's a miracle. All of us, we're miracles that are here. Trophies of grace. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I, I promise you, we're going to get, we're going to allow God to come and bring a rejoicing, but it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do right. But God uses it, the word of God, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Inerrancy means the Bible is true and there are no errors in it whatsoever. It means, listen, means the Bible is true. 
no errors whatsoever. It is completely accurate and cannot be wrong. Inerrancy contends that the Bible doesn't have errors of facts or statements that are contradictory. The Bible is error-free in its original writings. It's a standard for us. It's a standard. Can you imagine? Here's what's amazing. Can you imagine a world without standards and measurements? Think of it for a moment. What if there was no alphabet, no metric system, no currency exchange, no hours or minutes? You know what that means? That you could, that means you can come up with whatever you want. One plus one equals pencils. It doesn't even make sense. Why? Because there's no standard. Alex McFarlane said it like this, a world without standards is not a world without standards, but it's a world with many standards defined by whomever you're speaking to. Isn't it amazing? Life needs standards to function cor correctly. We accept, here, don't miss this. We accept standards on everything, it seems like. We have standards in math, standards in science, standards in language. The pharmacist has standards. The currency has standards. When you go to JFK and you're going into, coming into this country, there are standards for exchange rates. But isn't it amazing when it comes from morality and right living, no one wants standards anymore. Isn't it amazing? We want standards in language and currency, but not on how to live our lives. We want standards for everything else. We reject morality standards, but accept other standards. And people think that since the Bible is old, that it has errors. The age of the Bible and the content of the Bible are two different things. The Bible is old. It's, a, it's, 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 it's considered antiquity, but it doesn't mean it's in error. Folks, there is no document, there is no, there is no writing of, of, of antiquity that has more ancient manuscripts that have been excavated than the Bible itself. And there is no, and every one of those things that have been excavated confirms inerrancy that the Bible you're holding right now is accurate as if it came from God himself because it did come from God himself. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible, therefore, is a standard. The Bible tells us what God thinks. It's God's opinion. That's why the scripture we read is important. When David says, therefore, I esteem right all of your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way or... I hate every, everything that won't allow me to have a standard towards this. Why does David say this? Because it's inerrancy. Because the Bible is inerrant, you get this, God has the final word on everything. On everything. Folks, when men don't give God the last word, let me just explain to you like this. E. Paul Hovey said it like this. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. That's why they're upset with the Bible. It doesn't contradict itself. It contradicts them. I know if you can get to read this book, I'm telling you, when you start reading this book, it's habit forming. I'm telling you, when you start reading truth and standards, it will begin to bring, it begins to bring God's opinion to light on everything. Ever, ever, I, 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 ever watch a commercial uh, uh, for, for medication and they have the, that while they're showing people flying kites and riding bicycles, there's always someone in the background going, and if you take this, there's always the risk of diabetes, the risk of sleepless nights, obesity, and even death. Anybody ever see that? And, but you're not listening. You're just watching the guy with the kite walk over the whole thing, and you're not listening to the warning label that they have to put on. They just kind of, the voice gets lower, and it's, it's a whole different voice that lets you know that you can die if you take this drug, <laughs> is what it says. Can I tell you about the best warning label that I ever read? It, it's concerned. So I want to give you the warning label. So this is, pretend this is a commercial. I want to give you the warning label for reading the Bible. Warning, Bible reading can be habit forming. Putting the principles into practice can cause loss of anxiety, decreased appetite for lying, cheating, stealing, hating, and symptoms of growing sensations of love, peace, joy, and compassion. Hey, then give me all the side effects if this is what the word of God gives to me, I'll take it all every single time. I want the inerrant word of God. Hallelujah.
Bible is inerrant. The Bible is also infallible. The second part of the hedge that must be revealed, revived and renewed in the church, the word infallible means the Bible is trustworthy and will never fail you. 2 Peter 1.19, Peter says, we also have this prophetic message as something, I love these words, completely reliable. And you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. I love that phrase, completely reliable. It means what the Bible says is not only true, but it is also useful. Isn't it amazing? Even our government today used to think the Bible was useful. I just read in 1854, the United States Congress, Congress said the Congress of the United States recommends and approves the Holy Bible for use in our schools. That's what it says. But something, something, came, something came about that when you start losing the hedge of infallibility, when you start losing the hedge of inerrancy, then we, we think that there are other things that are more useful than this word which is inerrant, completely true, this word which is completely reliable. The Bible is not afraid to be put under the microscope. It's not afraid to be challenged. I, I, I don't have the time, but I'm gonna do this as fast as I can. There are three ways that I have found in all of my studies, three ways to prove the infallibility of the Bible. Let me give them to you real quickly. It's historical accuracy, it's fulfilled prophecies, and it's consistencies with science. Keep those up for just a moment. I want, them, I want you to see it. Now folks, just keep this in mind. All of this is being put in the book for connect groups, and you're gonna see it all again. And so just keep that in mind. But three ways that prove infallibility, historical accuracy, fulfilled prophecies, and consistency with science. See, people begin, let's just take the hardest one. When it seems that science and the Bible contradict, you know what I began to find out the more you read the Bible and the more you read science and history? When people say the Bible and science contradict, most of the times that I have found, it just means that science hasn't caught up with what the Bible already says. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Listen, they, they didn't, they, from, from the very beginning, people thought the earth was balanced on elephants or the earth was balanced on turtles or the earth was balanced on this. And isn't it amazing that one of the first books of the Bible next to Genesis was Job? Listen to what Job said. He stretches out the north over the empty space and he hangs the earth on, what does it say? Listen, he may have not called it gravity, but he knew what it was all about, that he let man define it as gravity, but he let Job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit say, it's hanging there, there are no elephants and there are no turtles, it is God that holds that thing in place. Or how about men as late as Columbus's voyage in 1492 thought the earth was flat. There's even people today that think the earth is flat. But all the way back, Isaiah began to pronounce that God sits enthroned above. Look what it says, the circle of the earth. Isaiah called it a circle before men called it a sphere. And God was, and then eventually men catch up to what God has already said. But here's one of my favorite. Listen to this. An astronomer 150 years before Christ, the man's name was Hipparchus. He was the astronomer and scientist of his day. And his study yielded as he stood out there, this great scientist, and counted 1,022 stars. He says, that's how many stars there are in the heavens. He had counted 1,022 stars, and that was science. His findings were considered accurate for 250 years. All people kept saying was, there's 1,022 stars. And then came along Ptolemy, who began to count the stars, and, he, and this was what he said. He said, did Hipparchus say there's only 1,022 stars? He goes, how absurd. There's 1,056 stars. <laughs> and that's what he said. And that's what they believed for until 1,300 years later, Galileo invented the very first telescope. But can I help you before Galileo, before Hipparchus and Ptolemy, that there was a prophet called Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says this, as the stars of the sky cannot be counted and the sands on the seashore cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of the servant of David. You know what I heard yesterday? That there are 12 octillion stars. That is a number 
with 27 zeros. They say there's more stars than there are grains of sand on planet Earth. And Jeremiah knew it before anybody else said it. And Jeremiah knew it because God was the one that put them all there in the first place. Folks, I don't have time to go through historical accuracy. All I'll say is that every archaeological discovery has not, has not denied the Bible, but has confirmed every passage. Every time the spade has been put into the ground, it confirms the truth of these scriptures. But the one that blows me away is fulfilled prophecy. This is the one that, folks, I'm telling you, this is the linchpin. Fulfilled prophecy is the greatest proof of the Bible's infallibility and probably the most important of the three. If you can find one place in the Bible where it predicts something and it doesn't come to pass, then the whole Bible is not true. I'm just telling you, this is, the Bible hangs it on prophecy. Alfred Edersheim, the historian, says there are 456 Old Testament verses prophesying where Jesus would be born, how he would live, what city he would grow up in, how he would die, the words he would say from the cross. And Edersheim, the historian, said all 456 were all proved. If there was one of those prophecies that wasn't true, it's not inerrant. It's not inerrant then. All 456 came true. Where Micah prophesies he'll be born in Bethlehem. Matthew 2 says he was born in Bethlehem. That Psalm 22 says this is how he'll die. And then all of a sudden we see how that happens in Matthew 27. There are, there are all of these prophecies. Listen, folks, I just have to tell you this. Uh, and, and this is going to be, some of you are going to hate me for this. But once again, I told you I don't care. I'm, I'm not Sagittarius. I don't believe in being a Taurus. I don't believe in being a Capricorn. I'm a Bible-believing Christian because this is the spot that every single thing comes true. This is it. Folks, if you're reading horoscopes, I'm telling you, stop. This is the one. All those horoscopes, it's nonsense. It's, just, it's generalities. Today is going to be a day that you'll be outside. Let it go. Let the Bible define your future. Number three, it's indestructible. We got to hurry this up. Stop holding me up here. Here we go. <coughs> Men have tried to destroy this Bible. They've tried to destroy it. I love what the French philosopher back in, back in the 1700s, the French philosopher Voltaire once said, he, he looked at the Bible and said, a hundred years after my death, the Bible will simply be a museum piece. That's what he said. <laughs> you don't play with God. And this is what we're told. A hundred years after his death, the French Bible Society bought Voltaire's home and printed Bibles from his home on his printing press. So, so as he's saying, the Bible will be obsolete. Let me just say, Voltaire is obsolete, and they're using his home today to print Bibles to go around the world. Someone, someone once wrote this small poem about the indestructibility of the Bible. It says, the more they pound, the more they shout, the more they wear their hammers out. The Bible was written over 1,600 years by 40 authors, written on 13 countries, on three continents and three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. But no one seems to be able to get rid of this book. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Let me give you just a few numbers to blow your mind. They say that between 60 to 100 million Bibles are printed every year. Every year. No other book comes close. Presently, they're saying there's over 6 billion Bibles on the planet. Billion. That's a Bible per person. Okay, think about those incredible numbers. So I pulled out a calculator, so let me just blow your mind for a second. So I looked on Amazon's top five bestsellers of all time. So in order to be a bestseller, you have to sell 100,000 books a year to be a bestseller. That's 300 books a day. 300 books a day in order to be a bestseller. It's 300 times 365. So if they say that there's 60 to 100 million Bibles being printed every year, Let's just take the middle number. Let's take 80 million. That means if you divide 80 million by 365, this makes me laugh. That means 
that the Bible, that 219,000 Bibles go out every day. So that means that means twice a day it's a bestseller on Amazon. Twice a day. Twice a day. While people are waiting for a whole year for 100,000, the Bible goes, we do this twice a day. Twice a day. How about one more crazy number? They say there's 6,900 spoken languages in the, on the planet. Of those 6,900, 2,846 already have the Bible translated in their language. And they're already working on the other ones. So can I just tell you, the numbers that I gave to you are only for 2,846. Can you imagine when the other 4,000 languages get translated in the Word of God? The Bible is indestructible. No book in history, no religious book, no novel comes close to what the Bible has done. Tells me there's something supernatural about this book. It's God's book. It's God's word. And he wants the people on planet Earth to know this book and how it can set people free. It's indestructible. This is what it says in 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that it's through the living and enduring word of God. And listen to this. All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flowers of the grass that withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of God, the word of the Lord endures for how long? And this is the word which is preached to you. That's why this is so important. Finally, let me just say this. As the band comes, we got to, we got to get ready to close, we, but we have to set up these walls. Here it comes. So we put up the first wall. It is inerrant, completely true. It is infallible. It is useful and trustworthy. It is indestructible. No matter what hammers come against the word of God, that anvil still sits there while all the hammers are thrown off to the side. You can't stop the word of God. And finally, it's incontestable. How do you fight against changed lives? How do you fight against the testimony of people's lives that have been changed? Jesus says that when the word of God gets into the heart of someone, it changes them forever. Luke 8.15 gives the type of seed that we were talking about in the very beginning. It says, the seed that fell into good ground, fertile soil, represents those lovers of truth who hear it deep within their hearts. They respond by clinging to the word, keeping it dear, and then all of a sudden they endure all things in faith. This is the seed which one day will bear much fruit in their lives. I had lunch with someone um, that I just met in our apartment building. It was awesome. He said, I would like to have lunch with you. And we went out. What a, 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 just such a nice man that we had. And from the very beginning, he told me, he says, I'm an agnostic. I said, this is awesome. I said, I'm so happy. I said, I'm so happy you're an agnostic. And he looked at me and I just said, it, I said, it made, you made my heart leap to know that you're an agnostic. He goes, why? I said, because atheists, and you may be sitting here, and you may be listening, and you're an atheist. Atheists, I said, are dishonest and disingenuous. Because what they assume is this. They assume that they know everything that goes on on the corner of the planet, and they can go ahead and decide that there is no God. See, an atheist says there is no God. An agnostic says, I don't know. I said, I love that, because this gives me the opportunity for us to talk today. So, so always, always know that when you have an agnostic, it's so much easier, because they just question. And one of the things we talked about was this. We discussed God's existence in the personal lives and the changed lives of people. How in the world? How can the Bible, it's, it's unarguable and incontestable, one of those walls, that 2.5 billion people on the planet serve Jesus Christ. 2.5 billion. I'm just telling you, you can't argue with it. You can't argue whether it's the Apostle Paul or Nikki Cruz. You can't argue with a changed life. It's one of the hedges around the Bible that I think today. Now listen, Ethiopia, I want to talk to you today. I, I read the story in Christianity Today of, of, of what happened right, right around World War, right before World War II. Ethiopia, this is for you. And, and I'm so thankful what the, the gentleman that runs our, our, our prayer, our prayer times at the altar, Fasil, who sings, Fasil, are you up there? Is he up there? He already probably went to pray. Wave your hand from Ethiopia. Wave, wave your hand, Fasil. Leads all these prayer teams. Fasil, this is for you and for those that are watching from Ethiopia. Um, it's about what I read about the Wilamo tribe in Ethiopia in the July issue of Christianity Today. They were talking about this tribe 
that just exploded with Christianity. Listen to this. They said right before World War II, a few missionary ladies, two missionary ladies, went to Ethiopia to this, to this uh, group of people, this tribe, and they started their work. But in the middle of just starting, Mussolini, Haile Selassie was run out. Mussolini took over right, right before World War II. And all they left, all they left with these tribes, they didn't even get the work done. All they left were Bibles. Now you have to remember something. The Word of God is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. So all they did was leave this in their language. This is what's amazing. So they leave Bibles to the people they were ministering to, and they said there was maybe just close to 100, 150 people that they've been sharing with. All the missionaries were gone. All the preachers were gone. The only thing, this is a good thing. They got rid of all of us preachers, got rid of everybody, and just left this. And this is what they said. They came back six years later. Ready for this? Thinking to themselves, let's pick up the work. Okay, we got it? 100 people they've been ministering to. They don't know how many of them are saved. They got kicked out. And all that's left is this, living, active, sharp. They said when they came back, there were 48,000 Walamo people came to Christ. They said churches were planted all over the region. And they said all of the blood feuds that were happening between the tribes all stopped because people believed the Bible. They just read the Bible and something. So why would we preach our opinions? Why would we preach what we think? Let the Bible do what the Bible can only do. That's why I believe the words of the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon. He says, how do you defend the Bible? He says, I treat it like a lion. Let it out of the cage and let it defend itself. The Word of God can do that. I believe this. Isaiah said it like this, my word that goes from my mouth, it will not return empty and void. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Hallelujah. You know what he said it does? The next verse comes on and says, instead of the thorn coming up, a cypress tree will come up. Instead of a briar coming up, a myrtle tree will come up. You know what it says? In the places that nobody can bring growth, the word of God says, let me be planted in that life, in that region. I'll bring up myrtle trees. I'll bring up cypress trees. I'll bring growth when people say, nothing can happen here. God can do it. It's incontestable what God can do. Nobody can do what the Word of God can do. I can't do it. That's why I'm telling you, if you're witnessing to somebody and you feel like you're getting nowhere, let the lion out of the cage. Buy them a Bible and just say, here you go. Read that. Now it's out of your hands. And I'm telling you, God can do the work through His Word today. God can do the work. I'm done. I'm tired, Ricardo. I can't do this anymore. Stand up. Stand to your feet. My goodness, we have 24 letters to go. Is there a shorter alphabet, Elder Jerry, that we can cut? It was the great, was the great uh, Baptist pastor, Vance Havner, said this. He said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible that is falling apart, a Bible that is well used usually belongs to someone whose life has been put back together. And that's why when I see a Bible all marked up and pages falling out, I'm going, ooh, that's a strong sister. That's a strong brother. Some of you going like, Pastor, your Bible looks, this is my preaching Bible. This is, some of you are looking at me going, I know it's because some of you are so judgmental. You already thought, you're going like, why is that? Why, why is that like that? Because I keep it here. I'll show you my other one. So let's just let the Bible out. Let's just let the lion out of the cage. Here it is. It's incontestable. Lives are changed. 
promise you, let God work deep inside of your heart. Let God change you from the inside out. So, so here's, here's the deal. This is the, this is the hedge. Inerrancy. Infallibility. Indestructible. Incontestable. Lives are changed. Completely true. Totally trustworthy and unable to be stamped out. It endures forever. That's the wall. That's the wall that God wants to pour in the salvation of people and said, under that hedge, I want to grow those people. Under that hedge, I want to do that. So here's what the Bible says in John chapter 3. Let's just let, let, me, let me just be as simple as I can. I'll just tell you what the Bible says. John 3, 3. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. That's the word of God. That's it. So whatever you say other than those words doesn't work. So if I was to ask you, how do you get to heaven? If you're here today and you just go like, well, I'm a good person or I'm a Catholic. I go to the mosque. I'm a Jew. I'm the, all those things. I don't hurt anybody. I haven't murdered anybody. And we, and we tell you, please continue that. <laughs> I just want you to do that. As good as that is, that's not what gets you to heaven. That's not what changes you. Jesus said this, no man, Jesus, who cannot lie, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. That's what Jesus said. So whether you're watching from Ethiopia or Zimbabwe, or whether you're here on 51st or Broadway, or whether you're watching from our overflow and annex, I, I just want to ask you one question. Do, do, if you believe this Bible, if you believe what God said, if you believe this is inerrant, and if you believe it's infallible, if you believe it's, it's indestructible, that men have tried to stamp it out, and they cannot get rid of it. They cannot get rid of this Bible. It continues to blow people away. And God today, through his word, wants to speak to every one of you and just say, through this word, this is the, this is the owner's manual. When you buy a car, it's what's in the glove compartment. This is how it works. This is how life works. God is going, I'm giving you something that you can bring to bear on everything. This is how it works. Not your opinion, not my opinion. It has to be God's opinion. And God says this, if this Bible is God's voice in print, this Bible is God's voice in print, then here's the question. Have you been born again? It's the most important question you can ever ask because your eternity is at stake. Your forever is at stake here. Please, please don't walk out on that. Your eternity is at stake. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Tim, I've, never, I've not been born again. And I, and I don't know. I can't, I can't say because I've, I've been living off my owner's manual. How do you get to heaven? How do you live forever? How do you get a life change? I just stop doing this and I start doing this. I paid the bills and my wife doesn't have to work. Great stuff, but that's not how you get eternity. You must be born again. How does that happen? By admitting I'm a sinner. By believing that Jesus was my sin bearer, died for me. If you don't know what that is, go back to the letter A. That's atonement. I can't wait for the day that I can say, go back to J or go back to H or go back to I or go back to E. But today I only can say, go back to one, which is great. We started off with the cross and we started today with the Bible. And next week we go to see. But if you're here today and just go, Pastor Tim, I need my life changed. I want to be changed. Online or in person, say, I want to be born again today. I want God to come in and change you from the inside out. I want to pray for you today. And if you're here, I'm, I, we, we, are, we are, this is the most important thing, more important than anything I'm saying. I want to make sure that you are ready to meet God. Here's my promise to you. In a hundred years from today, you will not be here. So you better know where you're going. And I know some of you are going like, no, but I work out. You won't be here in a hundred years. You won't be here. You won't be here. And today, you've got to make that decision for now and eternity. So with every head up and every eye open, if you're here today, balcony, main floor, annex, online, around the world, if you say, Pastor Tim, if Jesus said I must be born again, then I want to be born again today. So without any hesitation, if you say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, would you put me in that? Hold your hand up as high as I can, as high as you can. Keep them up as high as you can. Let me see every hand. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. All the way over there in the back right here. Over there, over there, over there, over there. Got you right there, 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 there. Balcony, got you all the way in the back. Yes, yes. Let me make sure I see you. 
Awesome, I got you over there. That's awesome, Annex. If you're online, just type the word decided and we're gonna begin to pray. Come on, let's pray this together out loud, everybody. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And the Bible is my guide. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, put your hands together. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.